Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Anybody happy to be in the house of God this Easter Sunday? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen, but not only that, he gives resurrecting power to me, to you, that I could die to my sin and be made alive with Christ Jesus. That is worth rejoicing. Amen. Anybody give God praise for that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of God. Man, I'm so excited for for Easter Sundays. They they call Easter Sunday the, the, the Super Bowl of Sundays for pastors. Um, and it's, a, it, it's usually a stressful week, but it, I mean, come Sunday, it's, it's such a celebratory day. And I, I, I want us, I'm not reading a lot this morning, which is a, a new one for me because I usually read a lot. But I want you to join w- uh, with me to the book of John, if you have your Bibles, uh, 5, 1 through 9. And you can remain standing as we read this. Amen, amen. And if you have it, give me a nice amen. And if you don't have it, I got you. And I'm reading from the NLT. And it says this. It says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to be well? Verse 7 says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, my God, for your word this morning that you have spoken, Father. I pray, Lord, that, that Holy Spirit, you be on my lips this morning, my God, and that you give us receptive hearts ready to receive this word, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit have his way this Sunday morning. We thank you. We love you. And the church says amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Amen. I know that this isn't the uh, typical you know, Easter Sunday text that you're maybe expecting uh, to read on Resurrection Sunday. We're not even talking about the resurrection of Christ. And you're probably like, Pastor, what's going on? That's the only reason I came to church was to talk about resurrect, uh, resurrection uh, of, of Christ. Um, th- this is, in fact, this is kind of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, way before he even gets to the cross. Um, this is kind of during the time when Jesus is starting to get the attention of religious leaders, Jewish uh, the Pharisees, and um, this miracle, if you keep on reading, was actually one that really upset the Pharisees because it was done on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, you weren't really allowed, you weren't allowed to work. There was actually a limit to how much you could carry on the Sabbath day. Amen? So sorry, uh, two-year-old toddler, I can't carry you today, right? Um, <laughs> Um, there was a limit to how much you could carry that if you were a doctor, the only work that you could do was one to save somebody's life. You couldn't do anything extra. So, so the miracle that Jesus did on the Sabbath, that could have waited till Monday in the eyes of the Pharisees. And so, um, this is around that time that Jesus started to cause kind of scenes wherever he goes. But I think this message, it's got a lot of undertones that I think fit well with the resurrection 
method, and it's entitled Getting Well. Getting Well. For those of you visiting today, um, first of all, welcome to NUMA. Amen. You're in a place of love. You're in a place of grace. You're in a place filled with, with awesome people ready to receive and ready to, uh, to invite you uh, into the NUMA family. Um, maybe this is the very first time that you're visiting church in a long time. Maybe this is a, maybe you come once a year. Maybe you come, maybe you've never come. This is your first time stepping in church. Um, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. That's not my job. My, my job is to preach Jesus, but I will tell you what my desire is. My desire is that you stay at church. That's my desire. And it doesn't even have to be this church, but just, just get connected to a local body that will plug you in to God. Because, man, my, my biggest desire, and my church knows this, my, my biggest desire is just to see people come to Jesus. That is my biggest desire. I have a heart for, for, for people to come to Christ. And, and if, I could, if, if we could have a salvation happen every single Sunday, that is a success to me. We could have technical difficulties. We could have, we could have the worship team mess up. We can have an off sermon. We can have all kinds of things. But if people say yes to Jesus, that is rejoicing. Somebody is rejoicing in heaven. And the Bible says that only when one person, when one person... There could be no one else in the world but one person to come to Jesus, and heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. Shame on us leaders sometimes, man. We, 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 we think that to have a good service, you have to have a good atmosphere, and, 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 and everybody's saying amen. And every, I mean, that, honestly, that's kind of, in a human way, that's how we measure successful Sundays, but but everything can be off, but one person says yes to Jesus. Heaven counts that as a success. And so uh, that is my biggest desire. I want to see people come to Jesus. If I had in my way, man, I would, I would speak Jesus into the lives of every single person that I, came, that I came across, and they would receive Jesus. But if you know anything about me, if, you, if you've ever talked to me one-on-one, you know that I'm kind of socially awkward. Y'all laugh because y'all know it's true. My, my wife, my wife tells me, you need to stop saying kind of like you are socially awkward. Drop, drop the kind of, um, I'm, I'm much more of an introvert. You know, I I can be extrovert when, when necessary, but, um, that's out of my element. And so for me, winning people for Jesus, it happens. It happens here for me. Um, this is where I feel comfortable, um, bringing people closer to Jesus. it, It, it happens here. And maybe that's not true for you. Maybe for you it happens at home. Maybe it happens at work. Maybe it happens in your family. Whatever the avenue may be, it doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is that you do it. I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I think that one of the questions Jesus is going to ask uh, believers when we get to heaven is how many? How many? And it's not going to be how many people attended your church. It's not going to be how many successes you had in life. It's not going to be how many people you preached in front of. It's going to be how many people... Did you bring to me? And so again, it doesn't really matter how you do it, with some exceptions, I guess, but what matters is that you do it. And so I say that to say, give me the next few moments to just speak Jesus, okay? Give me a chance. If you're here and, and maybe you don't believe or maybe you're like, oh, I'm just kind of here because my family's here. I'm ready to go eat. Honestly, I'm not even paying attention. Just give me the next few moments. This is not a performance for me. This is me trying to speak the truth into in, your life. 
And I tell, I tell the church all the time, I tell my church, my, my Easter Sunday messages, they're, they're going to be, they might not be as much for you as for the person who is visiting for the first time, the people, uh, the, the people who don't have a relationship with Jesus because the church is supposed to be a hospital. And, and if all we have are healthy people coming in here every single week, we are, we are missing a very important aspect of being the church. I was praying this week and I said, God, I don't know if you're a preacher, you probably know that sometimes you get stuck. Pastor Danny, you preach every week as well in Spanish service. I know that you know what it means to be like, what do I speak on? And I was asking God, God, I don't know what to say to people that they don't already know. There's probably nothing new that I can tell you about Jesus. You know the story of Jesus. You can sum it up in one sentence. Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Everybody knows that story. So what, what, is, what is sad to me is that so many people, they have this understanding, yet they're not living it. And what I found is that there, there's, there's, there's people who don't accept Jesus for one of two types of reasons. There's, there's many other reasons, but two main types of reasons people say no to Jesus. Number one, they're, they're an atheist. They don't believe in Jesus at all. They don't believe in God, or they don't care to believe. So either you're an atheist or you're agnostic. You reject the belief in God or you just don't really care enough to know if there is a God and so you're kind of indifferent about it. Those people are probably not here today. They stay away from the church. But then there's another group of people who I believe fill churches. And those are the ones that are too comfortable where they're at to give God control. I think there's a lot more people like that. I've talked to them. They're the ones that say, one day, one day I'll give my life to Christ. I got to get some things in order first. I got, I got to get my family. I got to get, I got to get a wife. I got to get a man in my life first. I got to get my finances in order before I can, I can get to Jesus. Or, or, or they'll be the people that come and they receive Jesus one Sunday and they're coming to church one month, two months, three months. But ultimately they decide to go back and I want to tell you today that when Jesus presents that question, do you want to be made well? He's not asking if he can put some duct tape on it. He is not asking if he could slap a bandaid on your heart. He's asking, he's not asking if you would just let him borrow your heart for a moment and, and when, you're, when you're tired of it, give it back. No, he's asking, do you want a life-changing transformation to happen in your spirit? One that would echo for eternity, one that would make you never the same again. That is the type of question that he's asking. That is the type of question that we present to you when we say at the end of the service, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you want to be made well? And I know that it's an uncomfortable question because saying yes to Jesus means saying no to yourself. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to some relationships, to some bad habits, some, some routines that you've adopted, some, some, some lifestyle changes would have to be made if you said yes to Jesus. And it's not an easy thing to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend like it is. Oh, do you want to accept Jesus in one, one single moment? You're asking me to change my entire life around. I know it's not that simple. I know, it's a, I know it requires some moving things around. I know it requires some change and some commitment. And I'll be honest with you, even after you're a Christian, Jesus still be trying to change you. He's still trying to change you. 
God, God is taking us to glory, to glory, to glory. And sometimes he takes us to a new place and we fuss and whine and we complain. We're like, God, I don't want to be here. And then we eventually come to say, you know what, God, this isn't too bad. I think I think I could do this. And then he's like, all right, it's time to go again. You're like, God, I just got comfortable. That's how it happens. Right, Brother Larry? I mean, that's what that's what happens. Because God is in the business of, of changing and transforming and sanctification is a process. You don't just say yes to Jesus one day and it's one and done. Saying yes to Jesus is, is a lifelong process of change. The biggest one being when you say yes to him the first time. Because it's so uncomfortable. I heard a preacher say once, um, because, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is known as our comforter. Uh, and the Greek is called parakletos, which means he's our, he's our helper, he's our comforter. And, and so he was saying something along the lines of, you know, when, when we refuse to leave our comfort zone, we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to do its job. Because how is the Holy Spirit going to comfort you when you're already comfortable? It's, it's in the uncomfortable that that's when he sends aid. And so God knows this. And so that's why he's always pushing our limits. He's always challenging our faith because he knows that he has already sent the comforter who will be sufficient. But sometimes we stay in our comfort zone. We're like, Holy Spirit, I'm already comfortable. I don't need you today. <clears throat> and whatever change God may be calling you to today, man, I, I know it may be uncomfortable, but there is a comforter. There is someone who will walk with you every step of the way, even when you fall, because you will fall. Even when you have one of those days of frustration and you're feeling discouraged, even when you feel like you want to go back, the Holy Spirit is our advocate, and he wants to change us for the better. Tell the person next to you, make the change. The Bible tells us about this man who's been sick for how long? 38 years. 38 years he's been sick. And I'm, I'm led to believe that for 38 years he was searching for healing. He was searching for a healing for 38 years. I know that because he was at the Pool of Bethesda. And, and the Pool of Bethesda was believed to be a place of healing. In fact, uh, your Bible may or, not, or may not mention it. Um, some of your Bibles may or may not have verse 4. Let me check your Bible right now. It might have verse 3 and then it skips to verse 5. Some of you, if you have a King James or a New King James, it has verse 4. The reason for that is, is uh, without being too nerdy, is that the earliest manuscripts didn't contain verse 4. And so now most of the Bibles omit it. But in either case, it does give us some insight into what people believed about the Pool of Bethesda. It was believed that every so often an angel would come down and he would stir up the waters and healing would take place. But that healing was only available to the first one to jump in the water. And so verse four says in, in the King James for uh, so you could see it says for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in and was made whole of whatever disease he had. So that's what they believe. Scholars today believe that the bubbling may have happened from a natural spring. Whether supernatural or not, the belief was that the water could make them well. You just had to be among the first to jump in. You had to be first. And so I think that the reason this man had been searching for a long time for healing is because he's hopeful that one day he's going to be lucky enough to be the first one in the water. We're not, we're not told what his sickness is, but most scholars believe that he was a paralytic man. He couldn't walk, or at least very fast, and, and, and so he was at a disadvantage 
He couldn't get to the water fast enough. So maybe he's thinking, if I just hang around here day and night, every single day, maybe I'll get lucky enough to one day, there's no one at the pool. And, and, and if that angel comes and stirs up the water, I can get my healing. 38 years, he's looking for this healing. 38 years, he hasn't accepted his condition. If he had accepted it already, he would have just moved on with his life. He wouldn't be sitting by the pool of Bethesda, but he's still looking for answers. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with a terrible condition known as male pattern baldness. (laughs) It's not funny. It's it's a real disease. Come on. (laughs) And I remember, I remember when I first noticed it, um, I, I didn't notice that. Actually, my friends noticed it. We were sitting. We're, we're, I think you were there, uh, Pastor Danny. I think you were there. There was a few of us there, and we were eating. And I, I went down to, to, to take a sip of my drink, and, and somebody said, are you going bald? And I'm like, no, I'm not going bald. What are you talking about? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> and, and then it's like the moment, the moment, and if you're bald, you know how it goes. It, the moment you realize that you're going bald, it just, bro, it, it accelerates. <laughs> it, just, it happens so quickly. And... You know, like everyone who first discovers baldness, they, they, they try different things. And I tried so many different products and, you know, combing my hair differently. And uh, I even bought this, like, colored, like, powder um, to hide the bald spots. And I was like, all right, this is weird. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Until one day the most savage but loving person in my life, my wife, told me something. Um, she said, she, she told me one day, babe, your head looks like it has a mustache (laughs) because I, I had long hair and I had like a patch of hair right here and I had nothing right here. And, uh, (laughs) and so, yeah, I finally shaved my head. I never went back. And, and, and when you, when you shave your head, all my ball friends know this, that's when you finally accept the will of God not to have a hair. But I'm, look, there's some people in the room, man. I'm sorry. You're holding on. You're holding on. And the Lord is saying, let go and let God. Amen. <laughs> this. <laughs> Amen. This man, this man hadn't accepted. He hadn't accepted his fate yet. He was still hanging on. He was still looking. He was still by the pool every single day, prob- knowing it probably wasn't going to happen. But if, it, if he had an opportunity, he wanted to be ready. And so here comes Jesus one day, and he sees the crowds of sick people, and he stops by this one man, and he asks him that question, do you want to be made well? Bro, I'll tell you right now, if Jesus asked me, do you want your hair back? I'll say, Lord, put your hands on my head and resurrect those dead hair follicles in the name of Jesus But this man didn't respond anything like that. He didn't look at his response. I mean, see, a lot of times we we see a lot of the miracles that Jesus does. They're in response to people's faith. Not this one. This man didn't even know who Jesus was. He doesn't even he doesn't even refer to him as 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 master, lord, teacher, rabbi. He says, "Sir." Tells the, the, the son of God, he calls him sir. There's no faith in this man. And so his response is like, I can't, I can't, sir, because I have no one to put me 
in the water. So, of course, of course, this man's faith wasn't in Jesus. It was in something else. For 38 years, he had put his faith in a false hope that one day maybe he'd get his healing. He just he just had to be at the right place at the right time. And I think a really good takeaway from the story is that so many of us spend a lifetime waiting for something else to fill the void. We, we spend a lifetime chasing things like good careers and good income and good relationships and all types of material things. We make these dream boards and we say, man, if only I just had this in my life. Some of us put all of our hope in our family, which is a beautiful gift of God, but it's not everything. And we sit by our own version of the pool of Bethesda, looking for it to make us whole, looking for it to satisfy when all along Jesus has a cure. All along, Jesus has a healing. All along. But we answer Jesus in the same way that this man did. I'm not just talking about non-believers. I'm talking about Christians too. We say, I can't. I can't get well. I can't get better. I can't. What's your I can't this morning? I know you have one. What are you telling God? I can't. I can't leave this behind. I can't just end this relationship. It's not that simple. I can't just quit my job and trust in you, God. I can't just forgive him for what he did to me. I can't just move on. What's your I can't? Now imagine, for those of you who have been in the faith for a long time, what if you hadn't said, I can't to God five, ten years ago? Where would you be today? It's time Someone say that. It's time. It's, it's time to stop saying I can't. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop returning from that which God called you out. It's time. And if God, if God is the one making the invitation to you, if he's the one inviting you in, that means you can Look, I can't take away my own sins. I'm, I'm a sinful person. I'm a, my, my nature is sinful. I cannot rescue you myself from sin. I can't ever be worthy for heaven. But Jesus can. Jesus is. And so it's by his strength that I'm made well. Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be made well because of the strength of Christ. The power over death that he had on the cross. The man says, I can't. I can't. Because I have no one to put me in the water. I want you to listen real quick. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. There's nothing in that water. There's nothing in that water. Stop looking at the water. Stop looking for an opportunity to dictate whether or not you can have joy in your life. Stop looking for the thing. Stop look, uh, we're, like, we're like chasing a drug, and it might not be a chemical substance, but it might be something that has no substance. There's nothing in the water. There is a healing, though. There is a healing, and it is being offered to you today, and no doctor can cure it. No amount of money, no amount of success can deliver it. No boyfriend, no girlfriend, no friend can satisfy it. There is a healing that not even the church can heal. But Jesus can. One man. Jesus can. One man. One man. 
And so if Jesus is telling you, if he's asking you, do you want to be made well? What are you waiting for, man? What are you waiting for? And that's a question for every single person in the room today. Do you want a healing? There's there's a lot of spiritual parallels in this passage. You know, Jesus isn't Jesus isn't healing the man spiritually in this text. This is a very physical healing. But but today it serves as an example of what God can do for you spiritually in one moment with Jesus. One encounter with Jesus. You can be healed instantly. Instantly. Jesus tells the man, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Is it that easy? After 38 years, a 38-year-long struggle can just go away like that? You're probably thinking, there's no way. Pastor Ryan, you have no idea what I've been struggling with for 30 years. You have no idea. You have no idea how deep I'm in. You have no idea. Listen, everything, everything bows at the feet of Jesus. Everything, everything falls at the feet of Jesus. Every stronghold, every demon, even legions of demons, thousands upon thousands of demons, they, 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 they are scared at the very footsteps of Jesus. Every addiction, every, every shame, there is nothing that you can bring to God that he's going to look at and say, I can't do this one. The victory's already been won. And we say it all the time, death has no power. But you know what? We give it power. We give it power. We give something that is dead power. I'm not not saying that you're never going to struggle again when you come to Jesus, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not saying that every, every problem you have is going to go away and that your debt is going to be canceled and you're going to wake up with millions of dollars of money. No, I wish, right? That's not, that, that's not what happens. But the sting of death, the potency of sin, no longer has an effect when you begin to walk with Jesus. I love that, the, I love that Jesus tells a man, take, take the mat with you, he says. Don't just get up. Take your junk. Take your stuff. I tell that, I, I tell that to Layla all the time. Go to your room and take your mess. Don't leave it here. Take your mat with you. The, the mat that, that you've laid on for all these years, representing a place of comfort, representing a place of belonging. The, the, the Greek word that was used here for mat is krabatos. It means a lot more than just like, a, like a, a mat, a workout mat that you just roll up and carry by your side. It was most likely made on wooden pallets, and there was a, uh, some type of cushion on it. It was probably heavy. And so Jesus telling the man, get up and take your mat, he's saying, get up and move out. Move out. Think about that for a second. I've seen a lot of people get up but never move out. I'm talking to the church now. I've seen a lot of people get up, but they don't take their stuff with them. They still hang on. You're still hanging on. It's one thing to say, I'm well. It's another thing to take your stuff with you because you never, you know that you're never going to return to it again. That's another thing. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but you're still holding on to some things in your life. Maybe you're still holding on to some phone numbers that you really should probably delete. 
Maybe there's some relationship that you probably need to end because it's no good for you right now. Wait till you're a little bit more mature so that you could be an influence to them and not them to you. There's some things that you, you haven't completely moved out. You're like those people who, who like to save things and never throw stuff away. So you put it in storage. And one day you decide, you know what, I'm going to clean because I got a lot of junk. And then you find that box again. But you're like, ah, oh, but I can't throw this stuff away. Because what if? Throw it away. This goes back to what I was saying before about comfort. This man, listen, this man could have gotten up and walked around and looked at his healing and, and, and was amazed at it. But then he could have started getting in his mind and said, you know what? What if this doesn't last? You know what? What if I end up not liking this lifestyle too much? What, what if I start to get weak in my legs but I took all the things from my home and now I have no place to return. What if, what if I burn all these bridges? What if I tell people, you know what, I can't hang out with you because right now you're not that good for me and I got to go to church and I, and I got to spend some time with Jesus. What if, I, what if I burn all these bridges? But it doesn't work out with Jesus. Now I'm not going to have a place to go back. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to go back. You're not supposed to go back. You're not supposed to go back. And can I tell somebody today that if you're still hanging on to, uh, for, for, uh, on baggage and, and you have not completely let it go, you are not completely belonging to Christ. Because the word says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You can't take your junk to heaven. You can't carry your cross and all your belongings from the world. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. And the new has come. The old has passed away. It's dead. That's why Jesus died. To kill the sin that held you. You can't have a new life in Christ while still holding on to the old. And so again, I say, there's so many people struggling. You're struggling with leaving the comfortable. You're struggling with leaving the familiar. Genesis 12, God tells Abram, go from your country, leave your family. Our word familiar is from that word family. Leave the familiar. Leave it. And maybe you're saying, I don't, I've gotten so accustomed to this life. I don't know how to bring God into it. That's the reality. That's why so many people never say yes to Jesus because they don't know where Jesus is going to fit in their old life. And, and, and that's where you got it wrong. It's that you have to be born again. You, you have to start a new life. And maybe because you say that, I, mean, I don't know where God is going to fit in. You are just hanging out by the pool of Bethesda every single day in your comfort zone, waiting for something to be enough to make you whole, and it's not. And Jesus is asking that question that he's been asking since the, made he's, the day that he's made possible your healing. Do you want to be made well? It is always an open question. It's not just here on Sundays. It's, it's, it's always. But maybe you have yet to accept that invitation. 
Or maybe, maybe, maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but, but you haven't let the sin completely die. Maybe you still visit it every now and then. Maybe you still feed it every now and then. You kind of keep it hidden in a closet so, so no one else sees it. But it's like keeping it a dangerous, exotic animal as a pet. One day it's going to come back and it's, it's going to get the best of you. Get up. Take your stuff. And walk. Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says something I want to share with you. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, which cleans so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, every, every year we, uh, we set out to get some, make some new Easter shirts, uh, Easter edition, or new, yeah, Easter edition Numa shirts. And they always kind of have a thematic vibe. I'm trying to see if anybody's wearing one so they can come up here and model it for me. Uh, but, yeah, Pastor Danny, he, he stepped out. Um, but uh, this year it, 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 says, it says finished and perfected. Finished and perfected. When Jesus uttered those last words on the cross. What did he say? It is finished. He was talking about the saving work that he came to fulfill. That was finished. The angel told Joseph before Jesus was even born that Mary would give birth to a child and he is to be named Jesus because he will save people from their sin. That is what Jesus means. God is salvation. And so 33 years later on that cross, nailed for our sake, he says it is finished. It's accomplished. But it wasn't just finished. It was perfected. It was was made perfect because he was a perfect sacrifice. Up until this point, sin was still reigning. The best that we could do was was make a sacrificial offering of of goats and and bulls where the priest would have to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for the sins of God's people. It was a duct tape solution. But when Jesus came, he put an end to all of that. With one single sacrifice, he put, death, he put to death sin, and he did so perfectly. I don't know about you, but that's who I want to be my healer, the one who does things perfectly. I want a perfect healing. I want a complete healing. I don't want to have to worry if, if the disease of sin is going to come back. Stop settling for temporary fixes. Stop settling for something that cannot completely make you whole. When Jesus already completed the work perfectly. I want you to, I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. You don't have to, you don't have to answer out loud. I, I just I want you to really think about this. I want you to answer in your head. Do you believe in heaven and hell? In your head, brother. <laughs> do you believe in do you believe in, in, in Jesus? Do you believe in sin? Now, if you answered yes, then I want to encourage you. Don't settle for anything less 
than Jesus because nothing in this world can fill that void. Nothing in this world can heal like Jesus can. I'm going to have the worship team come up and I want to share one last thing with you. I've, I've, I've shared this. I've shared this before, but it's, it's, it's one of the most memorable moments in my life. Um, and I just, I've held on to it for, for a long time. It was a, it's a memory that I have of my grandmother. Um, one night, I remember I was staying at my, my grandma's house, me and, and my, my cousin, uh, my cousin Kiefer. Kiefer. My, my uncle married a, a very white woman, so, so Kiefer. Um, and, and, and Kiefer and I were, were, were falling asleep, and it was late, and it was, it was, it was quiet. I remember my, my grandma's house was always so quiet at night until they started snoring, and then I mean, it, it shook the whole foundation of the home. But I remember falling asleep, and then I, I, I woke up to crying from my grandma's room. And I don't know how old I was. I had to be 10, 10 years old, nine years old, maybe. And she's crying, and I'm thinking, okay, did, what happened? Did somebody die? Something happened to my parents? You know, what's going on? And so I, I remember going in to the room, and my grandma is there, and she's, she's kneeling at the bed, and she's, she's praying. She's talking to God. But she, she was it wasn't one of those, it wasn't one of those, God, you're so good, the Holy Spirit is filling me in this moment type of cries. It wasn't one of those. We have those, you, you know what those feel like. This was, this was grief. This was spiritual mourning. She was crying out to God. And I, I never really understood, uh, understood why she was crying up until recently the past several years when I started praying the same type of prayers. And I remember asking her nine, 10 years old, I said, grandma, what's, what's wrong? And I remember, I still remember her face. I still remember her looking up tears, filling her eyes, eyes red, dripping down her face. And she looks at me and she says, I don't want my family to go to hell. Get yourself a grandma like that. <laughs> and and it's, it, it, it stuck with me, well, it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And, and just recently, it's, it, I realized that, that in that moment when she was crying out to God, I realized that she was feeling helpless. She was feeling helpless. As if one of her family members was lying on the hospital bed, and there was nothing that she could do to heal. That's the type of prayer that it was. She felt, she felt helpless in that moment. This, because she realized that, that there was nothing that she could do with as much motherly love as she possessed. And if you knew my grandma, you know how much of a loving woman that she was. But no matter how much love she had to give, no matter how much, uh, no matter how much wisdom that she could impart, how much instruction, none of that would have mattered because she wasn't able to save her family on her own. And so it makes sense now. It's just, 
It's just a hope. I don't want my family to go to hell. And today, I have those same type of moments with God. And I know exactly what she was feeling that day. Because I break and I begin to say the names of my loved ones out loud. The people that I desire to come to Jesus. The people that I desire to know Jesus the same way that I know him. But I know that there's nothing that I can do. There's no sermon that I can preach. There's no text message that I can send. There's no eloquent words that I can deliver. There is no song that I can sing, no song that I can write. There is nothing that I can do. And I look at my little girls and, I, and I, sometimes I fear because I can raise them right and I can instruct them and I can pour wisdom into their lives and I can love them. But there's nothing that I can do to save them. As much as I would love to, I can't. The man tells Jesus, I can't. I can't. I imagine Jesus looking at the man's spirit, thinking, you know what? You're right. No one, no one can save you. This water can't save you. The sermon can't save you. The money can't save you. But I can save you. I can save you. Only Jesus, only Jesus can make whole. Only Jesus can make you well. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And as the worship team sings, I, I first want to just begin with a call. With a call to accept Jesus in entirety. Maybe you've already made that type of commitment before. Maybe you've already said yes to Jesus, but you're still holding on to sin. You're still holding on to some things that, that you know you need to let go of. I realize that this is where my job ends as a pastor. I just deliver the message. I just deliver the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's all I can do. And then make the call and pray. Pray, God, do the rest. Do what I cannot. So with every head bowed this morning and every eye closed, if you want to accept Jesus this morning, he's calling you outside of your comfort zone. He is calling you into a life of eternity, but it requires you to leave your comfortable And it won't be easy, but there is a Holy Spirit who will comfort. There is a Holy Spirit who will advocate for you when you fall and you will fall. There is a church that will love you and build you up. It is not impossible. But it begins with that step of faith. So if you want to accept Jesus this morning, every eye closed, every head bowed, this is between you and the Lord. If you want to accept Jesus, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand if that's you this morning. Amen. Amen. Raise your hand. Raise your keep it, keep it high. Keep it high so I can see it. Amen. Amen. Keep it, keep it high. Keep it high. 
God. I see about eight hands, eight, nine people saying yes to Jesus this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to challenge those people who said yes to Jesus. Say no. Say no to the life that is still trying to to cling to you. Say no to the sin that is still trying to hold you. Jesus already broke the chains. He already broke the chains. They don't even keep you down anymore. You can simply walk away at the call, at the mention of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to have you repeat this prayer. You can say it as quietly as you need to, but with a sincere heart, I'm going to have the whole church say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who looked at my sin and died for me anyway. Today, I walk away from that lifestyle. I repent of my sins and I follow you. Holy Spirit, enter my life and lead me into the everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we sing that song? Come on, we're just going to have a moment. We're going to have a moment with God. Prayer team, I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you're in need of prayer this morning, if you need a prayer, and if if you raise your hand, I would invite you to come forward so that we can pray for you. But if you are in need of any type of prayer, any type of of healing, any type of physical need, uh, spiritual need, financial need, whatever it is, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray and we're going to believe with you because that's what we do. That's what we do. We, We go to war with you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.